here we go. This is going to be a short one this morning because we don't have much time and that's okay. But just to say, I just loved hearing those stories. I'm sure you did too. It's, uh, it's where the rubber hits the road. It's where the, we become not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And uh, that's, that's, that's where it is. The Wimber used to say, the meat is on the street. That's where it's at. And uh, we're so encouraged by those stories. And, and I just encourage you to have a go. Just have a go. And even if it's like once a month or just once, <laughs> just have a go. And, uh, and you know, for, for some of us, that's not going to be your thing. It's just so way out of your comfort zone, what's just been talked about. And again, we want to say that that's okay, but we want to encourage you to, what is the risk? What is the stepping out in faith? What does that look like for you? That could simply be uh, doing what has been shared with someone in their own family, someone at home, someone at work. Actually, sometimes doing it with praying with someone who you know really well is actually even harder than doing it with Bob in the park. You may never see Bob ever again, you know, whereas you're going to see your husband hopefully the next day. So uh, anyway, that's that. We're talking about healing. That's what our story's been. Uh, and the reason we're doing this is because we want to see God move. We're just so encouraged. We hear God's showing signs of healing. But boy, we want more. Don't we? We want to see that we want to see the miraculous take place. We want to see the eyes of the blind open. We want to see people set free from addiction. We want to see um, just the goodness that comes from God himself. We want to see it with our own eyes. We want to experience it ourselves, those of us who suffer from whatever illness or sickness that it might be. We want to see him do the miraculous. But our dream and our desire as a church is that you would be equipped to do it to lay hands on the sick, to speak words of command, that we would see the kingdom come. That is our desire. Every single one of you would do that. And many of you, you're there. You're there and you're just like, oh man, give me a sick person so I might just put my hands on them and pray. And I understand there's others of you just fearful about that, not quite sure about it. And again, we'd want to say that that's okay. So we're continuing that series. Um, but before we do that, my personal story of the week, I was uh, sweating it a little bit. Got to Friday night, thinking, goodness me, I need a story because this is, this is the deal that we made, right? This is the deal I felt before the Lord as I would do this series on, on healing is if I'm not prepared to step out the boat myself and do it, then I wouldn't expect you to do it. And I felt like the Lord challenged me on that. And uh, so hopefully each week, I think I've missed one maybe. Um, we have a story of, of where I've stepped out the boat and prayed for someone. Chantelle and I, we're out uh, together on Friday night with a couple of friends, and uh, we're having a meal together. And just towards the end of the meal, uh, one of the ladies there, she, she began to be really vulnerable uh, with us, and she just said, she just began to unpack. She's a fear of death. She's a fear of dying. And she began to sort of uh, speak about that and unpack that, and you could just tell she began to well up. And, uh, and I was like, goodness, yeah, I, I sort of have moments of that, I'll be honest with you as well. And, um, and she just began to be really sort of vulnerable. And I just said to her, I said, I, I just think, <laughs> I was really naughty. I said two things. 
I said, I'd really love to pray for you. Can we pray for you? And, uh, and by the way, I need a story for Sunday so you can be my guinea pig. Is that all right? <laughs> so, um, so that was that really. And um, so I, I just prayed and I, I just laid my hand on her shoulder. She was a she and I'm a he. Uh, but I, I felt that that was appropriate given the circumstances. My own wife was there and another person was present. I'm just telling you that because that's modeling. That's how we do things. And, uh, and I just began to pray. I just said, welcome. Just welcome you, Holy Spirit. You power of life. Just come now. Just pray. That's what I was doing. And I just began to speak into the fear. I just said, we command fear in this woman's life to be gone now in Jesus' name. So we're speaking words of life. We're laying on hands, but we're speaking words of command. We're speaking to fear and commanding it to go. But also, as we were praying, I just felt like there was a role that she needed to play in it. And I felt like I needed to lead her and coach her in it. And I just said, I feel like you need to picture the cross. I spoke about this last week or the week before, a similar thing. I just said, you just need to picture the cross. And this that you're experiencing, this which is what you're feeling, I encourage you, as I'm praying for the person, I encourage you to just lay it at the feet of Jesus at the cross. And that's where the human part, that's the, the act of the will comes in as we prayed. And then Chantel prayed some other stuff, which was brilliant, and so did the other person who I can't really quite remember. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this to encourage you. I'm telling you this because I'm trying to model something, I'm trying to coach and trying to teach and, and do you know what? It's so simple. In the middle of the restaurant, the waitresses are walking past. There's other people around. No one really cares. It wasn't, oh, man, that's so embarrassing. Oh, maybe it's just our age. We get to a certain age, you don't really care too much about what people think. Isn't that right? So uh, anyway, that's that. What time have we? Flip, this is going to be the quickest ever. Here we go. John 20, 30, 31. John uh, it's the penultimate chapter of his book that he wrote about the life of Jesus. He is, in my words, coming into land. He's been uh, talking lots about the person of Jesus. He's nearly at the end. And uh, these are some of his final words that he documents. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying the following things. He is saying that many other signs were done, they just weren't written about in his book. For whatever reason, he only had certain chapters maybe, maybe he only had a certain amount of ink, or maybe he just had enough paper or whatever it was, but he chose to document, there were a few jokes lost on everyone, they, he just decided to document over certain signs that he had witnessed. Remember, he was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He had been present in the private place of healing when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. John had seen and witnessed many, many things, but he chose to only write about some. These signs were written about so that we... All of us here may believe that Jesus is who he is, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, we might 
have life. John, the writer who in chapter 10, I think, said that you may have life in all its fullness. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So these stories, all that we've been talking about over the last number of weeks and in the next few weeks, about Jesus bringing the miraculous through bringing the kingdom through signs and wonders, this was given to us that we might have life, that we might have it. But I would like to say there was another reason as well that John wrote about these things. Across the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 41 um, stories of, of healing, miraculous things that Jesus did. And um, I think that what they do is they serve as a model to us. And so this morning we want to conclude, um, just the last three weeks has been about Jesus modeling. How did Jesus um, perform miracles? How did Jesus uh, enact the miraculous? And I want to look at three things. Which words were used to describe Jesus' healings. Why did Jesus perform healings and miracles? And how did Jesus minister? First of all, the words. Here's where we get a little bit technical. We're going to whiz through this. And um, uh, there's just some Greek words. And you're going to laugh at my pronunciation because I've got no idea how half of them are pronounced. But the first one is dynamis or... I'm just going to say dynamis. Uh, which means works of power. Works power, and it's where we get the English word dynamite uh, or dynamic from. The New Testament uses dynamis to describe works of God's power over demons, over sin, over sickness, nature, people, and death, stuff that we've talked about before. But we also find this other word, mirari, uh, which is an English word which is derived from the Latin word mirari. Yeah, sorry, mirari means miracle. It wasn't necessarily the word that was used in the Greek New Testament, but it is in many of our NIV and other modern day translations of the Bible. And it simply means, a miracle simply means anything that causes us to wonder and which defies nature's laws and explanations. And then we have the next word, simia. I'm not even going to pronounce them. Well, I probably should pronounce them for anyone who's listening online, shouldn't I? Okay, well, I'll just say what I say. What I see. Means a distinguishing mark that reveals or points to something. Um, after Jesus had turned water into wine, John writes, what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And then the next word we have is terrace, which was used in the Greek as well. Terrus means wonders. It also means monster. I have no idea how you get the same thing out of the same word, but there you go. And, uh, and it causes someone to wonder. So in Acts, they were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then we have a number of um, specific words which were written in the Greek uh, for healing. And we're just simply going to put them up on the board because time is upon us. There's the first one. You can read it yourself. And then the next one, please. And then the next one. And then the next one. It's not just the cafe in Carrick, Ferguson, White Abbey. 
but isn't that brilliant that those restaurants are named after that? Time is upon us, so we'll whiz through. Why did Jesus do miracles, healings, and deliverance? First of all, he did it for the glory of God, for the honor of his name. He refused himself to accept flattery from human beings and always spoke towards the honor and glory of God. Secondly, he did it because he cared for people. He had great compassion upon the people. Thirdly, to destroy Satan's works and defeat his rule. And lastly, as a witness to God's future and present kingdom. He uh, fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies. He enacted and became the enactment of um, the kingdom. He is the king and the kingdom came through what he did, through signs and wonders, calling people to repent, believing that he is the Messiah. And then lastly, how did Jesus minister? A whistle-stop tour. These are a number of things. I'm just going to speak them out as best as you can. I can see some of you nodding off already, and that's okay. Um, but here goes. How did Jesus minister? By the Spirit. Jesus began ministering through being baptized by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so many of oh, the miracles that he performed ministered out of the Spirit. Jesus healed every kind of sickness and expelled every demon he came across. Healing and deliverance go hand in hand, Matthew 4, 23, 24. Jesus healed all that came to him, all who asked for healing, Matthew 8, 1 to 7. Jesus healed, healing was motivated by compassion for the sick and those in need, Matthew 9, 36. Faith was critical in the healing process, the centurion's faith, the faith of the mat carriers, the faith of the father of the demonized son. A phrase that Jesus often used was, your faith has made you well. God responds to those who actively trust in him. Although Jesus looked for faith um, on the part of others, he occasionally believed for it on his own, of his own faith. Jesus healing the man born blind in John 9, 1-7 was such occasion. Jesus' ministry was limited by unbelief, though. This means a negative and critical attitude towards unbelieving people. It says this in Mark. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Frequently, Jesus would heal many people at one time in a large gathering. Often it was a place where people had walked miles to get there. And they gathered in the one place. He was aware, though, of the power dynamics that go on in those kind of meetings, in those large-scale gatherings. He dismissed people, sending them on their way, Mark 6, 45. He sometimes demanded privacy to heal, Matthew 9, 25. Uh, he overruled a crowd's sentiment to heal, we read about in Matthew 20, when the crowds told two blind men to be quiet and not bother Jesus. He rebuked the crowd and intervened himself. He escaped from the large crowds when they wanted to make him king, John 6, 14 and 15. And he knew uh, what it was in people and he did not entrust himself to people because he knew of what was in the heart of mankind, John 2, 23 and 25. He also healed in synagogues, 
that's the church. He healed on the streets and he healed in the marketplace. A word of warning, a slight word of caution. There is something um, in the large meetings when we bring uh, the person gifted with healing. And this sometimes can be um, drawn or blown out of proportion and we can center uh, something upon the person with the gifting more than the God who is the one who does the healing. And I'm not saying for one second that someone cannot exercise the gift of healing to a high level and see miraculous things take place. I believe that to be true with all my heart, as I would someone who has the gift of teaching or the gift of giving or the gift of hospitality. So that absolutely is possible. But there is caution revolving around the large-scale meetings where the healer comes to bring healing. Only for the simple fact that we can elevate someone to a position that is just unhealthy for us, but also for them. And it takes enormous amounts of character and enormous amounts of accountability on the part of the person who is the one ministering. <clears throat> in contrast to the large events, Jesus also ministered to individuals in isolation, giving them full attention. The leper, Luke 5, 12 and 13. Blind Bartimaeus, Luke 18, 35 to 43. We learn much of Jesus' warmth and tenderness <coughs> in approaching individuals in those one-to-one healings. Jesus withdrew to heal a person privately, Mark 5, 39 and 43. He brought his closest disciples, and mentioned it earlier, John was one of them, presumably as witnesses, but also support, and also for their development and their training. Jesus was stopped, uh, or was stopped by a person to heal them, Bartimaeus, the woman who was subjected to bleeding. At times, he healed all who were there, Matthew 4, 24. On other occasions, he healed only one, leaving others to be sick. The lame man at Bethesda that we looked at the video last week, uh, that to me is a mystery. At times, uh, he healed all, and I've just said that. We're on number 13 of 23. Hang, hang on to yourself there. Healing flowed out of a Jesus sovereignly by God's power. Without him consciously cooperating, the woman with bleeding touched the garment of Jesus' clothing and healing was released through God's sovereign power. On occasion, Jesus was aware of a strong sense of the Spirit's special anointing for healing and went with it, Luke 5, 17 to 26. Verse 17 of that says, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. That is the spirit sensitivity. Often when we lead a meeting like this, we're trying to ask the Lord, we're inquiring of the Lord, saying, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? I, I just sense that as I spoke those words earlier, the story of the, the woman that we prayed with who has a fear of death. I, I just sense in my own spirit this morning as I spoke those things, that's true for some of you and the Lord will want to minister to you this morning. I just sense that's what the Lord is here for this morning. And that's going with what he's doing. I could be wrong. But as time goes on, we begin to see actually the more that we step out in faith, the more we learn to trust the, 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 the Lord's leading in certain situations. 
Jesus did not do miracles for those who wanted to test him or to be entertained, Matthew 12, 38, 42. Resistance to healing the sick grieved him, Mark 3, 1 to 6. Jesus used methods of touch and words to bring about healing. So touch is where we have the phrase, the laying on of hands. He touched the untouchable, those who had leprosy, those who were dead. He was not meant to touch them, and yet he touched them. He embraced them, he held them, he touched withered limbs, firmly gripped arms, put fingers into deaf ears. People touched his clothing. He used spittle or spit or we would say phlegm, some of us maybe. A known medical practice then on a tongue and on a blind eye. He once used spit and dirt in the ground to then, I don't know what he did, whether he rolled up a, a thing and stuck it in someone's eye. That's what he, I don't blame me, that's what it, that's in there. He sent out the 12 to heal with anointing oil, which again was a known medical practice. He also encouraged others to exercise their act of faith in a tactile, in a touch kind of way. Stretch out your hands, stand up, take your mat and walk. So, it's part of the methodology. Jesus used touch a lot, but he also spoke words of command. Stretch out your hand, go, stand up, arise, be opened. And he also rebuked sickness and demons. I'm going to go really quick. Jesus asked questions whenever he was with someone. How long has he been like this to the father of the demonized son? What do you want me to do for you to Bartimaeus? Do you want to get well, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda? What is your name to the demons in Mark 5, verse 9? Do you see anything to the blind man, Mark 8, 23? Jesus frequently did aftercare ministry, giving direction to those that he'd healed. Stop sinning or something worse may happen, John 5, 14. Go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them, Matthew 8, verse 4. Jesus also understood the relationship between sin and sickness. He discerned if sickness had come through sin. The person's sin evidently caused the sickness of the layman in Mark 2, 5 to 12. In contrast, other times Jesus said the person's sin or the sin of their parents had nothing to do with the sickness, such as the blind man in John 9. Jesus healed people without them asking for forgiveness of sins without a confession of their own sin sickness can be caused by other people's sin though the awful thing of something happening to us physically in some sort of physical harm way that brings some sort of um, sickness or illness to us sickness caused by environmental pollution for example healing in these cases often require forgiveness of those who perpetrated against us. Jesus acted, uh, battled in the act of healing, especially in the expulsion of demons. There was an ongoing battle during the driving out of legion in Mark 5. We take heart knowing that Jesus had to pray more than once 
to heal the blind man in Mark 8, 22 to 26. He had a couple of goes at it before it was a success. We take heart in that and also gives us the model that if we pray for someone and they don't get well on the first attempt, well, we can always try and try again and keep contending and keep praying for healing. Jesus indicated that some demonic sickness would not leave immediately that longer prayer and fasting was required for healing, such as the demonized boy in Mark 9, 28 to 29. Jesus depended upon God for healing and he withdrew to go away and pray for healing. Lastly, Jesus warned not to wrongly attribute healing done in his name to demonic and satanic deception. This would be an insult to the Holy Spirit. This is a whistle-stop tour. I wanted to spend a bit more time on it. We just didn't have it, and that's okay. But what I wanted to show briefly through that long, what's been a list and not necessarily a storytelling time this morning, is just these are the ways in which Jesus healed. These are the ways that he ministered. And you can see there was not one size fits all approach. That's not what it's about. And very often, like we spoke about last week, and I think, what, three weeks ago, it was in the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So there are some principles that we can learn from, and there's other times we have to just go with what God is doing at a given time.